it's like having a guitar. The best guitar in the world is useless unless you have somebody who has the imagination and an amazing song to play on it. And that's how I would equate how I use technology is like, yeah, you want to have an amazing guitar, but you got to write a really fantastic song first. Hello, my name is Lauren D'Souza, and you're listening to Retain, the Customer Retention Podcast. More and more companies are wanting to focus on retaining customers, but what exactly are the powers of customer retention? And how are companies using it to keep their customers coming back for more? That's what we're here to find out. For today's episode, I'm delighted to be joined by John Syme, a senior product marketing manager at Shopify. Shopify is of course known to the world as being the global commerce brand. John is a product and technology-focused marketer whose work has spanned e-commerce, consumer packaged goods, and tourism for B2C and B2B. He works closely with sales, UX, and creative teams to make it all come together. John is happiest when there's a healthy dose of ambiguity and a problem that needs some defining. John, thank you so much for joining me. You're very welcome. It's awesome to be here. Happy to be talking. Yes, it's really exciting. And we're so excited to have you on the show because a lot of our customers use Shopify. So having an insight from your point of view is really interesting. So really looking forward to learning more about you and your experiences of what led you to where you are now. But maybe we'll start off by you just giving us a little bit further of an introduction about your background and how you led to the point where you are today. Yeah, no, happy to. Okay, so... It's like a lot of things in life, a little bit meandering, and sometimes you don't know where you're going to end up. But we'll start, I guess, maybe at the end. Right now, I'm a senior product marketing manager at Shopify, and I specifically work on Shopify Capital, uh, which is our lending product for merchants. So we help fund merchants to help them grow their business and accomplish all their business plans. But me getting there, kind of, you have to go back in time a bit. Um, <laughs> I graduated university in 2008, which was, turns out, not a great time to graduate university because there was... A, <laughs> There was a recession, so that wasn't great. And I used that opportunity to to travel, and I was lucky enough to be able to get a, a working holiday visa and go to Australia. And I didn't really know what to expect or what I was going to do, and I thought maybe I would work in a hotel, which is what I did during university. I thought maybe I would bartend, uh, and I ended up getting a job in B2B marketing for Xerox there, which I took because I thought it would look good on my resume. And uh, I, I think it did. It helped. Uh, <laughs> but I also needed money. So there was the practical aspect. And uh, it was a six-month contract. I really learned a lot. And I had a great time working with my coworkers and met a lot of friends. But like one of the things I learned was I don't belong at a company like Xerox. And that type of marketing is not something that really excited me. So totally glad I had that experience. But it was also really valuable to learn what I don't like doing. So I left Australia after just under a year there and ended up in Toronto. And when I got to Toronto, I started exploring like different things in marketing I could do. I wanted to do marketing. That was kind of like what I was set on and ended up working for um, an ad agency. And I started entry level on client services there. I was an account supervisor. And that really started an eight-year career in different ad agencies and marketing agencies in Toronto, right. which was awesome because you work with so many different clients. You work across different categories and industries. You're exposed to so much. I did everything from like tractors to, you know, fintech with PayPal, Canada Post. <laughs> and that's when I really started learning the strategic side of things, uh, the importance of like the customer journey, how branding and positioning plays a part. And then particularly like over that eight years, seeing how technology started coming in to make a lot of these big ideas come to life and enabling a lot of like these customer experiences and 
you know, interactions and engagement with brands that like we don't really think about now, but like it was really cool to start seeing that emerge over over the eight years on the agency side. And at the end of that, I was like, I had a great time, but I was just getting that itch to try and do something new. And that's when I started thinking about, okay, what do I like doing? What do I want to do next? I know I wanted to try something different and kind of move to to the client side. And when I kind of put everything down on a list, it it really sort of overlapped with like Shopify, really great product, working with entrepreneurs and doing things that actually you see a tangible you know, difference in utility in someone's life each day. So that was kind of my focus is how do I get into Shopify? So put a plan in place and luckily it all worked out and now here I am. I think what's actually really interesting in your role in Shopify being a product marketer is that you have a very interesting set of experiences you're bringing to that because not everybody has that diverse background from all the agencies and you're working with all these different clients, all these different sizes of businesses. It probably brings such a unique perspective to your work right now that helps you with the actual end goal that Shopify is trying to achieve with their customers, which is cool. And so in the role that you've been working now, it's been, how long have you been with Shopify now or in this role? Almost two years, you said, right? Approaching two years. Yeah, it'll be two years in April. Nice. And so, so far over this two year span, what have you loved most about your role so far with Shopify? I think I get to work with merchants a lot. I get to talk to them a lot. I get to hear their story a lot and turn that into strategy and you know product improvements and different ways to position and message our product. I think like that's just generally one of the things I love about marketing is talking to people, the research element and gathering those insights. And anytime you can really get your hands on and directly talk to the people experiencing your product or the service or whatever you end up having to market is really, really great. And the fact that I get to do that is one of my favorite things because similar to like working at the agency, like you just meet so many different people. There's so many different stories and that's really exciting. I don't like when I feel one step removed from everything or you feel like you'd build something or create something and then throw it over the fence and you don't really know what's going <laughs> on. So I love having that like real time feedback and be able to gauge what's what's going on. And also it just like breaks up the day sometimes when I, I really look forward to when I have like a merchant interview scheduled or I get to go out and visit someone in their store. It's It's a lot of fun. And so those are the nice side of things. What are some of the challenges you face with the role? <laughs> well, I mean, I don't know if it's specific to the role. I think like they're just general challenges with mm-hmm. marketing. I think like, and one of the the things I find funny is sometimes the challenges with marketing are also the things that are exciting about marketing. And the challenges is like, nothing stays the same and nobody knows what they're doing. And I mean that in the most loving, optimistic way possible, because like that's what's <laughs> that's what's awesome about marketing is we're all, you know, to some degree making it up and there's so much change so quickly. But that can be a real challenge because you can never just take your foot off the gas and and build something and think it's right and it's going to be right forever. You have to be continuously checking in or gauging what's going on. And a lot yeah. of times you're going to go off track and like that's okay. And you have to realize that's okay. And sometimes you have to take a you know four steps back, and that can be really really frustrating. It can cause you to have to spend more money. It can cause mm-hmm. you have to you know reprioritize resources. That can be really really frustrating sometimes. And I I don't think that's unique to any any one role in marketing or any one organization. I think it's just a fact of marketing. So yeah, it's frustrating. But on the other hand, though, like that's what makes it really interesting to me because it's not the same every single day. And um, you know, it's the classic thing about reframing something frustrating or negative and, and yeah. trying to reframe it as a positive. And that's what I try and do sometimes is like really like this is very cliche, but you know, these can often be opportunities. And I think uh, one thing that's great about Shopify is like it is a culture where we do acknowledge that like sometimes 
you got something wrong and that's okay. Like you can learn mm-hmm. from it, correct, and then try something new. Um, and it's that continuous kind of create a hypothesis or make a guess or, you know, make your best judgment based on the information we have, see what goes on, doesn't work. Okay, try something different. And I think a lot of my ability to do that too has come from like just other parts of my career too. Because like I said, this is not a unique thing for Shopify. There's been yeah. so many times working on like a client project where we were like super confident we got something right. And we're like, this is going to be it. And then you do it. Surprise. And then people start using it. And it's surprise, you got it all wrong. <laughs> Go back to the drawing board. Yeah. It's the ones you feel most confident that feel so horribly sometimes. And just like, that's oh, a humbling moment. <laughs> yeah, it is a humbling moment. And you you get used to those. But like I said, that's that's what keeps it interesting. I know like in university, I would always get like bored in like accounting. No offense to the accountants out there. Um, but like it just, you know, it's hard to argue that one plus one is not two. Like it just it just is um, as much as I might try that sometimes. But like marketing, I felt it was a little more ambiguous. There's a bigger sandbox, more room to try something, make a mistake and build something new. And that's what I love about it. But yeah, depending on the day, that can also be the frustrating thing about it. Yeah. And I think something that seems to be wonderful about Shopify, having spoken to quite a few people working there is that, like you said, it's very much that environment at Shopify where it's, if it doesn't work, it's not like everything is wrong and things are just going downwards. It's very much experiment, iterate, experiment, iterate, and keep iterating until you get what's going to work. And having that mentality of the experimental phase and the hypotheses and things like that is much better than saying it has to be one way and that's the only way. And I find that that's really interesting because you can get so many new insights, so many new findings as a result of that. Because even when I was learning more about you before our podcast, I really liked how you're obsessed with both the product and the technology focus aspect to marketing. And so I feel that what you're talking about with things having to change on a constant basis, you probably have to use some element of technology in, in those decisions to help you make smarter decisions, make you make those decisions faster. So how do you leverage technology in your role? That's a really good question. I think the way I try and use it is to make sure it's not the solution. I don't think like technology is the answer. Mm-hmm. The best CRM platform or most comprehensive source of data is really just a tool without a big idea or creativity or a strategy or a direction or something to work towards. All that stuff is kind of just on its own. It's like having a guitar. The best guitar in the world is useless unless you have somebody who has the imagination and amazing song to play on it. And that's how I would equate how I use uh, technology is like, yeah, you want to have an amazing guitar, but you got to write a really fantastic song first. And for us and for me and like what I've done in my career is, is really try and think about the problem, the strategy, like ultimately, who are you trying to solve a problem for? Like, are you solving the right problem? And I think particularly with data and using technology to like understand this data and synthesize it, it's a great source of information and you use that information and combine it with like other sources of information, maybe like talking to people, and then you can create intelligence out of that. And that allows you to make a decision. And then maybe you kind of move along the process and use more technology, a different way to target ads or build out a really great CRM journey with a fantastic narrative to bring like a customer along for a ride basically to to go from like you know welcome to our product to this is why you should use it to now you're a lifelong customer and depending on what you do you know that could be a week or that could be years but like i think technology is a means to understand the problem a little bit better mm. work with your strategy to help define an answer for it and then also bring it to life 
Um, but it can't come to life without that like creativity behind the scenes. And I think that's the the danger. Sometimes we can think technology is the answer, yeah. but it, it's not utilized to its full potential without that creativity and the big idea behind it. Yeah, I like the framing of that a lot because even myself, there's certain things that I've done before where I realized I was using technology as the end solution, not as the support to get to that end solution. And when you reframe your mind, that technology is actually much more powerful because automations, optimizations, all these wonderful things are great. However, the way that you position it and how you utilize it is the way that actually makes you successful in that. And I think that's really important. Absolutely. And I, you asked earlier like about like one of the most frustrating things. And I think like technology is a great way to eliminate some of the most frustrating things. Like it doesn't change yeah. the fact that you might've gotten something wrong, but sometimes yeah. technology enables like way more real-time feedback. The thing that's on us though, as marketers is to use that feedback and do something with it. So yeah. I think we're in an era where we've never really had as much information so quickly, so often at such frequency, and that can pile up and it becomes really useless unless you're doing something with it. So another value is really like knowing when to pivot, knowing when to change, knowing when to make an improvement. But that's on us. I think as humans is to build process, uh, build teams and build culture that takes what the technology gives us so we can do something with it. The other thing too, I would say is I've always thought of marketing as like, you've got a sandbox to to play within. You've got you know, boundaries you might have to stay within, but like what goes on in that sandbox is really up to your imagination. And I think technology like really expands that sandbox. It doesn't- That's the beauty of it, really. Yeah. It doesn't, it doesn't like build something for you necessarily, but it gives you way more to expand your ideas with, expand those insights with, and a bigger sandbox is, is better when you can get it. Actually, a great example came to mind as you were talking about that, because I had just found this site called Conversion Crimes a couple of days ago. And basically, it's just a user testing site. And before, I had checked out a couple other ones that they were good, just it felt like I was just paying for someone to tell me answers that I wanted to hear versus getting genuine feedback. But Conversion Crimes, they've actually created a really smart marketplace almost where they pay their testers based on the quality of the feedback that they're giving. And they give them all these tasks, all these prompts, things to think about. And you basically record your screen and then talk through all your feedback and things like that. But you can see the entire user journey because it's screen recorded, obviously, and you can hear their voice. And then for the companies, they give them all this different feedback. So they have testers of all different types, obviously within their target audience, et cetera, but the varying factors that would give them good advice, where I think that kind of technology is extremely powerful because being able to see that is quite invaluable. However, it doesn't give you the answer. It just tells you what the problem is. <laughs> really valuable. Feedback. 100% that's very valuable. And I think that's the thing is we've just increased the fidelity of like the yeah. information we have to work with and you can do so much with it, but you still have to do something with it. Like it doesn't, yeah. doesn't do that for you. Maybe in the future, there's going to be really crazy AI that'll do all their jobs <laughs> you for us. You just have us. a bot watching all your customers and it reports back to you exactly yeah. what you should do. <laughs> yeah. Who's to know? But I want to dive a little bit more into the customer retention side because mm -hmm. obviously that's the main focus of our podcast. And all these things that we've been talking about leading up to this is a really good precursor for that, I think. Because again, customer retention is something that you can utilize technology to the best of its ability to be able to find out things about your retention strategies. But in your experience, how do you think that companies should go about measuring the success of their own retention programs? And have you worked with that kind of stuff before in your agency work slash Shopify? Yeah. Um, customer retention is something that I think has been you know present in every single job I've had, you know, 
let's go back to Xerox. Like they really prided themselves on, um, particularly when I was working on their B2B team, selling really large contracts for print services to customers that have been with Xerox for years and, you know, 10, 20, 30, 40 years. And some of those, you know, sales account managers had the same client forever. And the thought of that client ever switching to Canon or a competitor, like aside from the fact that it would represent a lot of lost revenue, but the relationship and a tenure of those those relationships were really valuable and important. And that was very much like part of the culture there. And that's one thing I learned and like observed there is like how valuable these long-term relationships were. And a lot of my focus when I was there was on trying to get new ones sometimes. And that was a lot of work and to develop a relationship that would last for 20 years and you know be <laughs> profitable over that time, it didn't happen overnight. And so that sort of thing followed me into working for agencies because similar to Xerox, like we had clients and some of those clients would sign contracts to have you as an agency of record for, you know, four or five years. And then you'd hope that by the end of the five years, the relationship was such that that you renew again and the effort to renew it again, you know, wasn't starting at scratch. You could you could maximize the value of that relationship and the momentum to to turn it into another five years. And, you know, that's very much on the B2B side of things. But the whole approach to retention was very much thinking we're going to have to spend a lot of time and effort to get someone in the door. And if we're going to make that investment, and sometimes like you don't make money on the first year, whether it's B2B or maybe even B2C, and you do it knowing that like you're going to have to recoup that over the next X amount of months, years, you know, whatever, depending on the industry you're in. And it's a long-term play. And that was like the big thing that resonated with me is like, this is often a long-term play. Like if you're expecting results or immediate impact overnight, it's probably not the best strategy. It's really looking kind of the long-term game. And in terms of like measuring it, it's tough because like some of these things are very broad or emotional and like they all tie back to the business. But like, how do you measure whether a client's happy? How do you measure whether your customer's happy? Like you can look at signals, like how often they buy their basket size. And and those are like just metrics on their own. But sometimes Mm -hmm. like that's not going to tell the whole story. So, I mean, like one of the things I always try and do is look at the full journey. So it's, you know, ideally if you get someone and they become a client of your agency or they buy your product and it doesn't really matter what, like what is the ideal journey and like length of time if you were to wave a magic wand and everything was going to work the way it should? Like, what are they going to interact with? Like, what are all the moments where they create value? And I think like one of the things I try and do when we were talking about like different things I, I think about based on my career and try and just, you know, think outside of the box. And one of them is like to make sure I'm not biasing towards thinking about like tech and technology too much. And I, I, I think about hospitality a lot. I think about hotels. I really- I love uh, that. That's so interesting. Yeah. Ties back right to the beginning of your experience. <laughs> no, it all comes full circle. I, I It was one of my first jobs in university and I, I loved it. But if you think about like a hotel and the experience of staying at a hotel, like particularly a really nice hotel, like you want that person to come back and stay over and over again. And I think about the people who would stay at the hotel I worked at over and over again. And I think about all the different interactions they had from the moment they booked their first stay to maybe booking their 10th stay. And over time, like obviously booking their first stay, they got to pay attention to advertising. It's going to cost money to acquire them. But once they get in and they start enjoying it, you deliver a great experience the incremental effort to have them come back again, whether it's through a loyalty program or just the fact that they really had a great time and they wouldn't think about staying anywhere else um, becomes a lot easier. But there's also indirect benefits from that. Like 
a happy customer who stays over and over again is going to be less headache for your staff. So are you going to save money on time dealing with customer service issues? They're also going to be more likely to recommend it to someone else. So like indirect, there's like acquisition costs you're going to benefit from. You're going to have someone with like a more pleasant demeanor in your lobby. Like, I don't know if you've ever checked into a hotel standing behind someone who's like irate and really upset. <laughs> like that's going to affect you. And so like there's all these like you know, difficult to measure, but things that definitely exist when you map out the full experience. And what I think it's like really helpful is to be like, okay, what are all these things? If someone's happy, wants to stay, what value is being created at that point? How do we measure that? And you kind of like yeah. map out that journey for what makes sense for your category, for your product. But I think the hotel is a great example because there's so many different things you're going to engage with, whether it's staff, whether it's marketing, whether it's like the person opening the door for you at the, yeah. the entrance, like all that contributes to making someone feel a certain way. And the other thing that's cool about a hotel is like, and someone said this to me when I was working there is like, at the end of the day, we're selling a bed, like a bed is a bed is a bed. Like our bed is not really any more comfortable or less comfortable than like one of our competitors. So what else around that experience can we change to differentiate ourselves and really like make it pretty unique? And that has stuck with me to this day because like, it's very, very true. Like a lot of the times we're selling something that is hard to differentiate. So a lot of what you can differentiate, though, is the experience you create. And I think that has a direct impact on on whether you retain someone or not retain someone. But yeah, it's a long-term game sometimes. It's uh, it's not going to happen overnight. So many golden nuggets of information. I don't even know where to start. <laughs> I have follow-on questions. Let's unpack that. My jaw is dropping. I just <laughs> rethought my entire business model. <laughs> Honestly, that was so interesting. I'm going to start actually with the thing that you just said about the hotels being that you're just selling a bed because... I can see why that stuck with you for a while. You literally never think of a hotel that way. It actually seems an experience that you, it's like a sought after experience. Like people want to go to hotels because they're nice and luxurious and wonderful, but you're literally selling a bed. But what's interesting is actually what you said at the beginning of our conversation of you having insights from completely different businesses, from the fintech app to something completely different to whatever, but you can find these underlying patterns that you can apply across industries. And I think that example alone that you just told me is very valuable because you can apply that to any business. Like obviously there's tons of competitors in whatever business you're going to be in. It's just the nature of the world, unfortunately. But the thing is, how do you differentiate? And that actually directly ties into the customer retention because the other really interesting point that you just talked about was the fact that it's almost counterintuitive to be measuring retention with things like basket size and these short-term KPIs because the true meaning of retention actually means long-term. So having those value metrics or those things that work together for this more complex thing, I suppose, are all long-term metrics, all long-term indicators. And that may happen over all of those little interactions along the journey. So I think that's a really good point as well, because I think when we think retention, we just think that next purchase or that next action that someone does, but it's actually the customer lifetime value. And there's so much that goes into that. <laughs> That's such a great point. And it's true because like if you over-index on a metric like basket size, it'd be like, okay, like a retained customer and one that's happy, we're going to measure that by someone who spends more. Particularly if that's what you're using to motivate people to, like, you know, the danger there could be, let's just keep using the hotel as an example, always ask someone to upgrade when they check in. Yeah. And like that feels really salesy. And yeah. maybe that'll work in the short term, but eventually someone might just get tired, particularly like if you're not reading the context, like, I'm just checking in. I'm here for a night. It's a business trip. Like, no, I don't want to upgrade. Versus like maybe a family's checking in. Maybe you do know that there is a really great room for a slightly higher price and it is worth an upgrade. Like 
you know, the context matters there. But if you're just motivating someone on like, we want to see basket size go up, we want to see like revenue per customer go up, like in the short term, you might get some wins there. But in the long term, I think that actually harms the experience and can frustrate people. And you're going to like, do the opposite of of what you want to do if you are truly like playing this for long haul. Yeah. And it's very much like the old thing goes that you should be benefits focused, not features focused. And that's a true testament to that because even with something like Shopify, your company could very much just market themselves as, oh, we do websites easily. <laughs> just like, yeah, we can upsell you because you need more bandwidth or capacity or this feature, the payment feature, this, that, whatever. However, every single aspect of what you see on the Shopify website, if you're a new customer, is about the benefits. It's how will this transform your business? How will this transform you? How will it enable you? How will it take your business to the next level? All about the benefits to you, not the features. And so I think we should probably think about metrics that same way internally, because I feel like we have this balance where it's like we should be very data-driven as companies because we have all this data available. But then sometimes that can be an overkill because you go so deep into the data that you're only working towards the data, not the actual problem that you're trying to solve. And so I find a lot of companies need to find that proper balance between the two. Because even when you're booking flights these days, every single thing is an upsell and it drives me nuts. <laughs> and so there's no experience with it. Yeah, no, like I think context timing is important too. It's not that you can't upsell. It's almost kind of like a read the room situation. Like what is your motivation right now? Like what stage of the journey are you in? Like what is the thing you need to do and accomplish? And then as a brand or a marketer, how do you create a setting where you're doing things that are helpful for you, not like distracting you or actually making it harder? And the features and benefits thing is is great. Like features are great to talk about. Like we should talk about features and explain that, but at the right time. And yes. what I think and what I've seen is like earlier on, sometimes it's it's the story, a little bit more of the emotion, the top level things that are a little bit more important or what people pay attention to at the very beginning. And a lot of that is is around the benefits. What do the features enable? Like, what is this going to do for you? How's this going to make you feel? And then as that process continues, like, okay, like now let's get a little more pragmatic and, and talk about features or a bit, bit more of the functionality. And I think it's not one or the other. It's just what's the right time and kind of, like I said, reading the room. Like you don't want to give someone information that they just don't need is not going to be helpful for them at that point in time. Yeah. I'm excited for my next question for you because <laughs> I just feel like you'll have interesting answers based on all the companies that you've worked with, all the businesses that you've seen. But speaking of getting this timing right and kind of figuring out that retention strategy that's focused on the long term and all the value that you derive from a customer, do you have any examples or retention strategies that have been done really well by companies that you really admire? That's a really good question. And I'm sorry, but I'm going to have to give you another hotel example. Um, you love hotels. <laughs> I I love travel. You're all about the hospitality. <laughs> well, you know what? I think it's just such a great parallel for customer experience. It really is. I really like, I'm going to start using that. I'll give you the credit. Don't worry. <laughs> I'll try and make it broad though. But I think the general answer I would say is great retention strategies, I think come with a lot of empowerment from different parts in the experience. So with a hotel, that could mean like making sure your employees are able to recognize the situation and make a change if they need to working at a tech company for me at Shopify, it's like the same type of thing. Like we talked about data and technology before. If we're getting all this feedback and we notice something is not working for a customer, whether we're getting that from data we have through tech or maybe we're getting some feedback from sales or merchant support, like those are all opportunities to make a pivot and make a change. And I think sometimes when there are moments of frustration, those are the best opportunities to really correct something and win someone over and create a moment where they actually feel closer to you. And that sounds really like 
more like relationships, I guess, like personal <laughs> relationships. But like really, really, I think there's a lot of like parallels there. And That's so, true. <laughs> yeah. And I think like these moments where somebody recognizes something's not going as it should and is able to change it, whether whether it's an automated CRM trigger or whether it's like a human being dressed in a uniform standing in the lobby of a hotel. Those are the moments that I think like are great strategies for retention. Like nothing's ever going to be perfect. Something's always going to yeah. go wrong. And just accept that and know that like those moments that things don't go according to plan are moments to like actually probably create closer connection. Uh, there's a really great book called The Power of Moments by uh, Chip and Dan Heath, I believe. And they talk a lot about this. They call it like filling the valleys and celebrating the peaks. And those create kind of like long-term relationships and things that people feel really good about. I'm not sure if this is an urban legend or not, but I was told that the Ritz-Carlton like gives their staff like the autonomy to spend up to $2,000 for a guest if they feel like it's something they wow. need to do or there's a moment for I it. Hope Don't quote me on that. I'm going to go try. <laughs> me too. It's a great story. And I've like referenced it before, but like I actually don't have any proof this is true. But let's ignore the dollar value and just say like, it's just the culture of you are empowered to do something to correct something. If you feel like in this moment, in this context, at this time, you've recognized yeah. a problem and you, you know what the solution might be, do it. And I think that is something that I've tried to emulate in everything I work on. Like even right now is like, sometimes things don't go perfect in the customer experience. So like, yeah. how do I recognize like, okay, what's going on right now? What's the context? what does this person really need? And where was there a Delta? Like, where did we kind of go off path? And how do we correct that? And if it's done properly, I think that's a moment where you actually create closer connection and you you demonstrate that as a brand, as a product, and as the experience, we're actually willing to be a little different than maybe what you're used to. And we're willing to go the extra mile to yeah. make sure this works the way you need. And we want to have you stick around. Yeah. And I think it's so important because it can be the smallest thing that does that. Because- even as you talked about the hotel example, I was just thinking in my head, is there any hotel that comes to mind when you speak of that? Because I was just thinking, like, is there that differentiation factor that I felt before? And there's a hotel in Muskoka, which for those of you are who are not from Toronto, it's about two hours from Toronto. It's a JW Marriott hotel, but it's just one of their subsections. It's called the Red Leaves Marriott. And they've been around for a while, but even from the start, because we had gone to that hotel multiple times over the years, like maybe once every year at this point, because we love it so much. But the one distinctive factor is that the common theme across every single person that you interact with is that they go above and beyond. And I personally am a chocoholic. I love chocolate to the ends of this earth. And when I was a bit younger, I would always tell everybody how much I love chocolate. Actually, I'm still doing that now. Who are we kidding? But I would ask them um, for molten lava cakes because that's my favorite dessert and they didn't have it on the menu. And they actually went to the chef and he made me a molten lava cake. And I didn't realize at the time because I was much younger, I didn't realize how significant of a thing that was. But that really resonated with my parents that they actually took the time to go and do something as special as that. And then that was one example. Another example is the people who would assist us with bringing our luggage to our room, for example. They would provide us with a piece of interesting information about the area. They would provide us information about something unique and fun that we could do. You don't have to do those things. It's not in their job description. But the overall feeling of that place was that people go above and beyond to make you feel welcome, to make you feel wanted in that place. And we've literally booked there like almost once or twice a year over the past, might be like 10 to 15 years at this point. It's been a long time. 1000% though. And like, 
we're talking about hotels, but like you can take all of the ingredients that just made up the experience you described. And like the end result was you booked again and without knowing the full story, but I'm going to guess like it wasn't because it's the cheapest price. Like it's not because no, like, it's not. <laughs> you know, you, you could also stay at a nice hotel in downtown Toronto and yeah, not drive exactly. two hours. But like what you described, you hit on a couple of things there in, in like the chocolate example, for example, like someone <laughs> had to recognize that like, here's information about my guest that I can use. Number two, like it had to be timely. Like they could have recognized that and mailed you chocolate a week later, but it wouldn't yeah. have had the same effect. So it had to be timely. It also had to be like contextual to what was going on. You're in the lobby at that time or you're in your room, but like you're in the moment of a great experience. And I think the other thing too that has to happen is all that stuff has to be consistent. Like you can't impress someone sometime. Like if you stayed again a year later and you had a completely different experience, that's also going to ruin it. So Good point. <laughs> I always like take those ingredients, take those elements that created that experience for you that made you want to stay. And you can apply those things strategically to anything. Like you can always be contextual. You can always be timely. You can always be good at recognizing moments or opportunities to to jump in there and do something that's, yep. you know, maybe a competitor wouldn't do. And you just have to do it consistently and like totally easier said than done. But like <laughs> all those elements, I think, are great ways to retain. And sometimes it is as simple as giving someone a chocolate bar like that doesn't cost a ton of money that will make me very happy <laughs> yeah but like you know what did that you know for a four dollar chocolate bar or whatever it was like yeah. <laughs> you know the feeling it made you do and you want to go back and you're now on your podcast talking about it like that's pretty exactly. cool very true actually and really interesting and i really like how you boiled it down to those couple different factors of being contextual being timely figuring out what it is that really makes up the dna of that action that is going to lead to retention because i think Something that I always try to focus on with these podcasts as well is giving the listener something actionable. And you've definitely gone above and beyond in doing something like that because I learned a lot in this time. <laughs> well, I'm, I'm glad. Like one of the things I always pay attention to now, and maybe it'll be fun to do next time you stay at a hotel or interact with anybody in like a customer service situation is like, I always now pay attention to when someone says, yeah, yes, or okay, versus like, absolutely my pleasure. And I think about like, how does it make me feel when someone says, oh, it would be my pleasure or absolutely. And like, it's just a single word, but like it completely changes the feeling. That's actually really true. That's a really good point. Yeah. So next time you're at a restaurant or you're on the phone with, you know, a call center or something, just sometimes the language can like create the scene in a very different way and evoke a very different feeling with you. So uh, there's some homework. <laughs> Love that. I'm going to try that myself from the other side of things as well. Yeah. That's awesome. Well, I think we'll bring it to an end there because that was some very insightful advice to end on, which is wonderful. You've made my job very easy today. <laughs> but one of the things that we love to do at the end of our podcast is do a lightning round. So three really quick questions. Answer in whatever way you feel, just lightning round questions to get to know more about you as a person. And then one final piece of advice, and then we'll wrap it up for the afternoon. So cool. first question of the lightning round is, What's an achievement you're most proud of in your career? I think I'm most proud when I see either people I had the privilege of directly managing or mentoring or people I worked with like move on and do really amazing things. Like I just I feel very proud to have had some small part of that. And uh, it makes me happy if I was able to like pass something on that it allowed them to get there. So yeah, I feel like that's when I feel most like I've accomplished something. I've been on the receiving end of a lot of really great mentorship and a lot of patience from a lot of people. So just knowing that I'm able to kind of carry that on is uh, makes me feel pay it forward. like I've achieved. Mentorship yeah, style. yeah. 
I like that because I was actually a cheat version of the answer because that means you can continue to feel pride throughout your career. So good answer. Very smart. <laughs> okay. Second question. Who would you say has mastered the art of marketing? And it doesn't have to be a marketer. It could be an artist, an athlete, anybody, but they've mastered the art of marketing. Uh, I'm going to say Snoop Dogg. Oh, love that, Snoop Dogg. That guy has reinvented himself over and over again. He's like retained his existing audience and demographic. <laughs> I think he's attracted new people. Uh, I saw he's got like a children's book. He's BFFs with Martha Stewart. Like if there's somebody... I was going to say his partnership with Martha Stewart and their their combined ads about the lighter really get yeah, me. Yeah, <laughs> like he, he knows what he's doing. And if he's not in a case study for marketing classes, he should be. Love that one. That was a really good answer. Okay, last question of the lightning round. If you were not a marketer, what would your ideal occupation be? And can I guess that it's going to be that you're running a hotel? <laughs> you know what? Um, that's not the answer I was going to give you, oh, but it's dang. related. But like that is that would be my second one. I think like if somebody were to say, here's a bunch of money, what would you do? I think I'd open a really cool like boutique hotel, integrate like a lot of technology into it, create a really great experience. My default answer, because I also really do enjoy this, is aviation. Like I'd be a pilot. I love flying. I love travel. I think like those two things are loosely related, but that's a good answer too. I, you know, I'll flip a coin, but running a boutique hotel would be like something up there for me. And if you do the boutique hotel that's enabled by technology, please do it in Toronto because that's where I live and I would love something like that. So that's my only that's request. That's where I live too. So yeah, yeah. I'll, I'll keep you updated. <laughs> okay. And last but not least is the piece of advice, which is my absolute favorite part of the whole thing, which is, is there a piece of marketing or life advice that someone shared with you once and has always stayed with you? Yes. I would say particularly for marketing, like there's more than one way to add up to 10. Like you can take different paths to get to your objective. And I think it's helpful to take a step back and just know that like there's usually more than one right way to do something. It's like those stupid questions you'd get on exams in school where it's like, <laughs> choose the most correct answer. Like oh God, there's usually more than one right way. Um, there might be a more right way, but like don't fall into the trap of thinking there's only one way to do something. And uh, that's that's always stuck with me. I love it. I knew that this is why I get so excited about this question because I learn just <laughs> absolute bomb of wisdom every time I ask this question. <laughs> well, and it applies to marketing and life, which is wonderful. Yeah. No, it's uh, it's true. I mean, uh, there's a lot of parallels. Well, thank you so much for your time, John, today. Everyone I know listening to this podcast will be so intrigued. There's a lot of actionable tips that they can take away, if anything. They might sign in and they might go book their next room at a hotel as a result of this conversation. But I'm what? super grateful for you taking the time to chat with me today. You're very welcome. And uh, it was a lot of fun being on here. And yeah, hotels, airports, life, there's inspiration everywhere for you know what you're doing. So that's what I try and pay attention to. Thank you so much for listening to today's episode. And we'll catch you next time. See ya. Retain the Customer Retention Podcast is brought to you by Gameball. To find out how you can turn visitors and occasional buyers into loyal, lifetime customers, head to Gameball.co. Make sure to subscribe to Retain the Customer Retention Podcast in Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts, so you never miss an episode. Thanks for joining me, and I'll see you next time.